Tracy. I wanted to be her friend because she's so cool. And she's pretty and she's smart and all of that. So I was like, I so want to be her friend. And because Tracy is so cool and nice and everything, she said, sure, I'll be your friend. So it's really cool. So I got to know her really well for the past three years and it's been a true blessing. So what can I say about Tracy? Well, she has an infectious love for Jesus. She's a disciple maker. She is passionate about women ministry and is passionate about encouraging each and every one of you. She is a friend to many. I'm one of them. <laughs> um, she's <laughs> sorry. <laughs> she is a mother to two beautiful daughters. She is the wife to a fantastic husband. She is um, a dedicated one, and most importantly, she is a daughter of the King. So please welcome Tracy. Good morning, ladies. Thank you so much for that, Muriel. When you introduced Debbie and said, gentle servant spirit, I go, oh no. She cannot say those things about me. What might she say? But um, anyway, I appreciate this time with you all. It's kind of funny. Um, Debbie started talking and she said, open your Bible to John 4. And I was like, no, because that's what I'm going to talk about. Don't do it. And, um, and so I texted my friend Ruthie, and I'm like, we're going to talk about the same thing. And she very, very um, quickly responded with a beautiful prayer back to me. And so I appreciate that, Ruthie. And I decided, y'all need to hear this, and you need to get it. You need to get it. And one thing um, I discovered as I was researching John, so go ahead and open your Bible to John chapter 4 again. And one thing I discovered is this is the longest one-on-one -on -one conversation Jesus had that's recorded in Scripture. So I'm thinking it's pretty important. So I'm going to start in verse 4. Now he, talking about Jesus, had to go through Samaria. It says he had to go through Samaria. Just last week I learned the opposite, that actually Jewish people, they did not go through Samaria. They took the long route because they despised the Samaritans so much. But Jesus said he had to go to Samaria, through Samaria. That means he was on mission. He was on mission. Continuing in verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. Sometimes I forget that Jesus was fully God and fully human. But that's why he gets us. He was tired. He was probably a little stressed. And so he sat down. He sat down. He gets us. Continuing, it was the sixth hour. This is important, and we'll get back to that. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. It was so much more than that because, again, they despised the Samaritans. And first of all, she was a woman, which Jewish men did not speak to women without their husbands present. Number two, again, she was a Samaritan. And number three, she was um, at the well at noon, which indicated she was immoral. And yet she was shocked that this man was speaking to her. The reason 
The sixth hour was so important, and Debbie brought this up, because it's the worst time to go to the well. It was high noon, so it was hot and dusty, and no one else was there. I kind of picture the well being like the water cooler at the office. It was where everyone gathered to build relationships. But she was too ashamed to go when others would be there. The thing is, nowhere in the Bible does it say that you should feel shame. So if you're feeling shame, that is from Satan. It's from Satan. And the thing is, Jesus says, bring me that shame. Give it to me. It's not, your, it's not for you. Don't feel it anymore. My friend Katrina, she's sitting here at the front table, shared this quote with us this week. It's from Stephen Furtick. God is not ashamed to be identified with the parts of you that you think you need to hide. In fact, Jesus feels so strongly about this that he died on the cross for us so that we would not have to feel shame. John 8, chapter verse, says this. Chapter verse. Okay, I was like, that didn't sound right. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Bring it to the light. Bring it to Jesus and give it to him. Jesus will not be surprised or shocked. He already knows. But if you bring it to the light, it's like saying, take that, Satan. Satan wants you to believe that if you bring it to Jesus, it'll just be exposed. Yes, exposed to the light. And the thing is, this light, Jesus, can redeem anything. Amen. Anything. The woman was in her dark place, even though it was high noon. Her shame had driven her to the dark time at the well. And what, it did, and what did Jesus do? He didn't say, come back at a better time. He didn't say, come back when you've got it all together. He didn't say, come back when you're accepted. He met her where she was at. He met her in her dark. Recently, I had a really dark yuck in my life. And, you know, the world was telling me, it's okay. It's not that bad. But every time I tried to align it with Scripture, and I tried from every angle, it just would not line up with Scripture. And I had to accept, this is sin. This is sin. And so I took it to God, sought forgiveness, and received that forgiveness immediately. And I felt compelled also to share it with my husband because I needed accountability. Y'all, there is no one else that walks this earth that I want to think highly of me than my husband. But I needed to share it with someone because I need that accountability. If you know me at all, you know I'm passionate about accountability. It's been so powerful in my life. Muriel holds me accountable. And what I love is... She doesn't tell me what she feels. She doesn't tell me what she thinks. She tells me what scripture says. Because she loves me too much to leave me where I'm at. Lisa Turkhurst says this. Jesus is standing in the midst of my darkness and yours as well. We all have places in our life where we refuse Jesus and shut out his light. Remember, Jesus isn't trying to expose you to put shame on you. He's trying to expose the sin that has, your, his, that has its chains around you. His light will set you free. So continuing in verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Notice he didn't say it's a reward. It's a gift. He doesn't say, if, then, it's a gift. Do you know this gift of God? Have you accepted this gift? The gift is salvation. The gift is eternal life. 
So continuing in verse 11, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Salvation comes when we confess and repent of our sins and desire forgiveness. At that time, we receive the living water, and it cannot be taken from us. If you have not asked for this living water, I might prayers that today you would talk to your table leader or someone else here about that and receive this gift of eternal salvation. Continuing in verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands, have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. We think we have to clean up ourselves before we go to Jesus. But that's not saying, you know what? I'm going to lose weight and get strong before I go to the gym. Before I go to the gym. But God knows who we are. Jesus, Jesus shows us who we really are. Not who we want to be, but who we really are. That we're imperfect. That we're selfish. That we are overwhelmingly loved and forgiven. Continuing in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. And then there was a discussion about worship, so I'm going to jump down to verse 24. Jesus said, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. The disciples were probably like, Jesus, do you, do you know what you're doing? Do you know who you're talking to? Because again, she was talking to a woman without her husband there. She, he was talking to a, um, an immoral woman, and he was talking to a Samaritan. But I'm reminded of Acts chapter 15, verse 19. We should not make it difficult for the people who are turning to God. The thing is, I consider myself a disciple, disciple of Jesus, but after reading this, I had to ask myself, who am I judging more harshly than God? Who am I making feel unwelcome, making them feel isolated? Who am I making feel like they have to come to the well only at noon? Jesus simply loves her. Continuing with verse 28, then leaving her water jar, I don't think we appreciate the significance of this because we kind of have the attitude, well, she can just go to Walmart and get another one. But the thing is, it wasn't that simple. This was considered a necessity, and she obviously wasn't a woman of means, and so this was an, um, the moment of transformation for her, a moment of transformation. Matthew 4, 18 through 20 says this, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, talking about Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew and his brother casting a net to the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. 
They were fishermen. I'm thinking fishing nets were pretty important. But they immediately realized that they didn't need the net, that they needed Jesus. They needed Jesus. What do you think that you need more than Jesus? What do you need to finally let go of? Continuing with verse 28, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. After her encounter with Christ, she didn't say, I need to go to seminary so I can learn how to tell about Jesus. She didn't say, I need to memorize the Bible, then I can share Jesus. She told her story. And if you've had an encounter with Christ, you have a story to tell too. She does not think of herself as unworthy to share the good news. God loves to pick us up, take our stories of our yuck and our dark, and transform them into stories that give him glory. He can redeem anything. Continuing in verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. I recently read this. The very best definition of evangelism is one starving person telling another starving person where to find bread. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And we talked about this at our table. We were talking about transparency makes people go, you too? Really? I thought I was the only one. Share your story. The woman at the well is not who people would pick to tell the story of good, of good news. If you're feeling like people wouldn't pick me, here's the truth. Jesus will pick you every time. He chose you. So I want to talk about this living water. Jeremiah 2.13 and Jeremiah 17.13 tells us that the Lord himself is the spiritual fountain of living water. When Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst, he means that whoever drinks of the living water has been rescued from sin and judgment, that we have eternal life. Once you have the Holy Spirit in you, it cannot be taken from you. I want you to repeat after me. I have the Holy Spirit in me. It can't be taken from me. Jesus doesn't mean our thirst is forever quenched, though, that we no longer need him. That it's a one-time encounter. We thirst after him, I think possibly even more once we know him. We get a little taste of him. Psalm 63:1. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Our souls require living water, but we're trying to fill it with other things, other things. We need to return to him daily. So I'm going to try and give you an illustration. I've had this in my mind for two years, and this was my opportunity to try and do it. I'm concerned that I feel a Lucille Ball moment coming on. And so just try and, and get what I'm trying to explain. I'm going to have to put the mic down, though. So I'll scale.
in my kitchen. <laughs> I'm reminded to get rid of the things that just aren't important. And then, as we add more living water, our hearts become even more pure again.
Go to the truth. Be filled with living water. You know, we've been looking at John chapter 4. If you just go back one chapter to John chapter 3, it's about Nicodemus. And they couldn't be more different. Nicodemus was a Jewish man. She was a Samaritan woman. Nicodemus was educated in Jewish faith. She was uneducated. Nicodemus was upper class. She was lower class. He was morally upright. She was immoral. He sought out Jesus because he recognized Jesus' merits. She thought he was Jesus a stranger. He came to Jesus at night. She met him at noon. Nicodemus responded slowly and rationally. She responded immediately. Nicodemus came to Jesus in the dark. Let's not be like Nicodemus and wait. Come to Jesus in full light. Expose your dark to his light. This makes me think of the miracle of plant photosynthesis. What the sun, S-U-N, does for plants. The plants use energy from sunlight to produce sugar that nourishes life while converting carbon dioxide that poisons air-breathing life into oxygen that people need to survive. So the photosynthesis process turns substances that could cause death into substances that nourish and produce life. Isn't that what Jesus does? He takes what could cause death and turns it into life. Last year I quote, quoted John 10, 10 so much that some of my friends had it framed for me and I have it hanging in my office. It says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came so that you could have abundant life. Are you living an abundant life? Does anyone want what you've got? So what's your hard? What's your dark? It's time to expose it to the light. To give it to Jesus. What's the water jug, the fishing net that you think you can't survive without? Today, leave it with Jesus. If you'll join me in prayer. Thank you so much, Lord, for how much you love us. You showed us by taking our sin and dying on the cross in our place. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Lord, thank you for freeing us from the chains of sin. Lord, reveal to us what we're clinging to that isn't of you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, may we let it go and leave it at your feet. Give us a desire, Lord, a thirst for you. Help us to recognize the sin in our lives and give us the courage to bring it to you, to expose it to you, to expose it to the light. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.